Well, if you want to turn to Genesis chapter 26, um, I read most time from the English Standard Version, uh, and today I'll be doing that. And, and in, this, in this time, I want to actually read a good amount of passage to you just as a backdrop uh, before, before we get into the sermon itself. But in Genesis chapter 26, and I did, there is something else. I wanted to welcome back Priscilla and John and Philip. Uh, Priscilla had to go back to India for time and her dad, and, and uh, we saw them walk in last Sunday. I didn't, didn't get a chance to welcome them, but thank you. Uh, for coming back to us. We, we missed you so much. And also, forgive me, Jim and Rhonda. Okay, see, we would have both been wrong. We were trying to remember. Uh, Jim and Rhonda, uh, their first Sunday here visiting us and uh, know the Pruitts missionaries that we, we've uh, grown to love. And so we are uh, happy to have you all here. And they moved back in June to Centerton. So make sure you greet them after the service uh, and uh, welcome them. God's promise to Isaac. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar and Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For you and your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Verse 6, so Isaac settled in Gerar. And when the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she was my sister, for he feared uh, to say my wife, thinking lest these men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was an attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might have easily lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled uh, with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that the father had given them, but when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring, uh, spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac, uh, Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Isaac. And because they ca- uh, contended with him, then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna. 
And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it, so he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you, and will bless you, and will multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. You know, when, I, when I've read scripture through my youth and, and kids, is often we don't really find the significance in some of this because we don't relate. Like, like talking about the fact that many generations are a blessing. Well, well see, you have to kind of grow into uh, problems in a culture over generations and, and certain people groups growing larger than others before you understand the significance of that. Do you know that the Muslim faith, one of their strategies has been for decades to outpopulate Christians? Simply, if we have more kids than Christians have, eventually this world will be Muslim. So you see, there's a very significant thing. We, we can whine and complain about how the world's going and, and that our faith is getting uh, persecuted and this and that. But simple fact of the matter is God wants us to go multiply the earth. And uh, many of us out of convenience said at some point in gener- and, and through generations said, you know, it's really not convenient to have a lot of kids let's save our money, let's just have one. And the Muslims said, let's have six. And some of you are like, well, that doesn't sound real profound. It is profound. It's one of the, most, it's one of the smartest military strategies you can have, really, is because you're not having to pay for those kids, really. The parents are, if you can project an idea, you know, this idea off of a religion that if we just simply outpopulate them, then there's a lot of work being done by others that you're not having to do, but it still has the same effect. And so the promise given to Abraham is very significant that you'll be, uh, that you have, uh, it's not just about the fact that Abraham and Sarah had to wait so long to have a child. It's that with many generations from your family comes power, influence, and many other benefits. There truly is a wealth. You just talk to any grandparent around other grandparents and they, one of the first things they'll say is how many grandkids they have. How many kids and grandkids, don't they? And they say it so sadly, don't they? Well, I've got ten grandkids. and Well, maybe they do, but that's, that might be a parenting thing. But anyway, but it's a thing of pride, right? So we have two cars and a house and this and that and this and that. No, we have ten grandkids. That's the first thing. So it is very important. It's not the basis of our story, what we're going into today, but it sets a good backdrop to understand that this promise made to Abraham that, that's being carried out now through Isaac and through, through the generations has very much to do with what God's doing here. Isaac was the son of this famous father Abraham and the father of a famous son, Jacob, who became Israel. Thirteen chapters in Genesis are devoted to telling the story of Abraham. Thirteen chapters. And around ten chapters to the story of Jacob. They are major characters in the plot, but Isaac's story is just two chapters. Chapter 24, the account of Abraham finding him and wife, Rebekah, and then this 26th chapter. Just very little. But in that little bit about Isaac... We find some important teaching there. Isaac's life was by no means insignificant just because he's written about less. He was that child that Abraham waited a hundred years for that promise. He was a miracle baby. 
And that's what I consider myself. I, I was told that I was a surprise. I, I choose the word miracle. <laughs> Blessing, right? There were three, but then there was the one. Isaac was the one who carried on the line in the purposes of God. You know, um, Pastor Jim that started this church and then passed away very early in, him and his wife were not able to have children. His father only had, had another son, and they decided not to have children. And one of his heartaches is the fact that, that one of his heartaches is that I'm not going to have grandchildren. He expressed it, not to me, but to Lynn. He said, you know, this, it's very hard to think I'm not going to have grandchildren. And Isaac was this one who was going to carry on the line in the purpose of God. And on his deathbed, it was Isaac who lay his hands upon Jacob. Unwittingly though it was, he set apart the future of Israel. Even down to the present day, the Jews speak of the God of Abraham, who? Isaac and Jacob. He's listed among the champions of faith in Hebrews 11, where it says, By faith, he blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. Isaac was the child of promise that Abraham had endured in faith for, but being the son of Abraham was not the key to his spiritual success. You can't just ride on your daddy's uh, shirt tails. You know, I remember when I went to Bible college because the Brummett last name, I had an uncle that was president of Southwestern Assembly of God College and had uh, done some great things there, very humble man, and um, other uncles and missionaries and ministers and I remember that I wanted to fly under the radar. I didn't want to be pastor's son at Bible college. I didn't want to be the, the Brummett boy. I wanted to stand on my own, you know, young 20s, trying to do that. And one of the first classes I had, Dr. Jesse Moon, which I didn't know had served under my uncle Herschel, and he's reading through the, the attendance, calling out the day. He goes, and this is how he talked, I see we have a Brummett in the house today. <laughs> Brother Brummett, would you stand and bless our time together in the class? And, of course, you know, I don't know half these people in the class yet, but... I'm called out, you know, and so, um, and I, I used to shy away from that. But I've learned that actually it's not about riding on the shirt tails. It's about having a rich heritage is a blessing from the Lord. And it's not about wearing it with the wrong kind of pride. It's about appreciating the fact that God has given some generational blessings, not curses. And after you pastor people and you start seeing some of the messes that go on in families and you see that generations back, it's just been perpetuating and drama and all kinds of stuff. You start really appreciating the heritage you have. And so, and so this, this is what's significant about Isaac. Not that his father was just Abraham, but that God, through the bloodline, has blessed him, has set him apart. And there's, there's three, I, I don't want to say, I don't like to use the word things. We use things a lot, three things. Really, we find three ways to live through Isaac but three ways to live for the Lord. These are symbolic of spiritual necessities for anyone who desires to live a life of faith. If you examine the life of any man or woman who is experiencing real spiritual victory, uh, these three things that we're going to see, these three ways to live for God are going to be very important to that. There's been times I've been asked because of my spiritual heritage. We, you know, we're, we're a Facebook community anymore, right? Most are on there. And so when we have singings at my parents' house or our family gathers at my sister's house and all of a sudden when everybody's sitting around, we begin, it's just a thing. We, we'll sing hymns or sing songs. And I, I've recently had people say, I just wish that was in my family. I wish our family did that. 
And, and you know, I start scrambling, thinking, well, how can I tell them? I want to help them. How can I tell them how to, how to really um, to foster that in their family? You know, because it's not something I want to just say, ha ha, look at my family. We sing praise to God because then I'd have an issue. But with, within my heart, but it's really if we want to see families begin to live a blessed life, a victorious life, then we really need to dissect that and figure out if you see a family where God seems to be blessing and God seems to be doing things in there, then, then if they're imitating Christ, then be imitators of that as well. Be imitators of what Christ is doing in them. In this text, Genesis 26, specifically verse 25, so Isaac built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord, and he placed his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. The first thing I want us to notice here is that Isaac built an altar. Isaac built an altar. And for this, this represents dedicating yourself and your resources to what God has promised. There's one thing for sure, if you want to see your kids follow God, if you want to see your family and your your heritage change, the family tree change to one of, of generational blessings of the Lord, is you've got to make everything about your purpose, your purpose about the, the promises of God. That when you pray, he will answer. That when you believe for your lost sons and daughters to come to know him, that they will come to know him. That when you when you really stake everything that you have about worshiping the Lord. It, it doesn't start with holding some worship services in your home. It, it starts with instilling the Word of God, living it out, and speaking about it daily. You've got to speak about the goodness of God. You've got to build an altar in your home where, where the sacrifices of the praise that you give Him, not just in singing. It's great to sing songs, but when you're saying, hey kids, isn't God good? Look at the house that we have. You know in other countries, people don't have houses like this. Look at the church we have, boys and, and Lily. Look at, look at what God's blessed with. Look at the people who love on you all the time. Look, look how God has blessed you. You're always attributing with that which belongs God. You're, you're making sure he gets credit where credit is due. And it's in your daily life. It's in your daily speech. If your daily speech is about problems and trauma and, and everything about, and, and all your kids are hearing is about complaining and this and that and all the natural and I worry about this and oh, this is going on. If they hear that, guess what? You're not fostering generational blessings. You're really shooting for, you're aiming for generational curses because you're focused on what the enemy is doing instead of what God is doing. You got to build an altar. So he built an altar there. And on the name of, so he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. It was a time of great difficulty for Isaac. I mean, you're hearing that he was wealthy, right? I mean, he's wealthy and, and, and God was blessing him, but everybody was jealous and they're filling in his wells, right? And they're trying, and what are the wells for? To feed the, the, the commodities he had, the herds and the livestock and his servants. And so water was important. It's important now. So it was a time of great difficulty. The Philistines were, were, were where he was living. So it says in, by, in verse 13, Isaac began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and great numbers of servants. So the Philistines envied him. And the envious Philistines filled, the envious Philistines filled his wells and King Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. 
We can't even stand to see you, Isaac. I mean, it's just sickening all that God is doing for you. And you know what? I've encountered that too because of blessings over my family. And, and even though there's people that love my parents, there's some people who kind of like, oh, Bremets think they're better, you know? Because, because of what God has done in the family. I see it in other families too. I've seen it. I've seen the Fergusons, you know? I've seen where God's blessed and everything. And there's a certain amount of people, like those Philistines, they're just fickle, fickle Philistines. They're just fickle. They just they can't stand for anybody else to be blessed. Instead of seeking God's blessings for them, saying, hey, there's an example. What is Isaac doing for the Lord that might bring those kind of blessings on my people? Instead, they said, let's fill in the wells. Let's try to stifle this blessing. That's just too much to take. It's the same kind of, it's the same kind of envious thing that happens in, in, in this area with church culture because we're in the Bible Belt. It's like, oh, well, that church, this. Oh, that church, that. Because we're envious because we see success in another church. And, and instead of, like, why would we compete with another church? That makes no sense to me. Why would you feel competitive with another church? It's one thing to say, hey, they got a great Bible study program. We should figure out how to do that. Then, then to say, say, well, you know, um, they're going to take all our people. I know pastors who get angst because some of their people will go to another church. And I'm thinking, I get angst if they go out of church and not going to another church, but I don't get so angst about them going from our church to another church as long as there's not some unresolved issue that we need to because then that's going to stifle both of our growth in the Lord because we're not handling relationships like we should. But if they just feel, hey, Lord's leading me on and I go, go over here, then that's a lot easier to take than someone who's just all of a sudden I'm done with church, I'm done with the body of Christ because then they're in contradiction of God's word and you've got to worry about their soul. But, but this envy thing, the Philistines, the fickle Philistines, and he reiterated to Isaac the covenant. God reiterated to Isaac the covenant he had made with his father Abraham. I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant's Abraham, for my servant Abraham's sake. What was Isaac's response to the revelation of God? He built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. I found that when God starts really working in my life, that any time that he prompts me, which happens often, the more you stay sensitive to God prompting you to, to build an altar and worship him wherever you're at, the better. One, one morning recently, feeling the weight of dealing with, you know, the plumber uh, saying he couldn't finish our job and, and all this stuff going on and, and there's a lot. And, uh, you know, our sanctuary doesn't have, it has rafters but not a roof. And, but I, I, there's a sawhorse blocking where my dad fell, which is right up there at the front. And it made a great altar. And I was able just to kneel down. And, you know, I had some worship music playing and the Holy Spirit just came upon me and it just broke me. And I needed that. It changed the whole trajectory of my day. It changed the whole trajectory of my week. It, it reestablished in my mind the eternal things and not the temporal. And guess what? By noon, I'm already fighting the temporal in my mind. So, so every time God is placing something on my heart, I try to find a place. If it's driving down the road and my altar is sitting in the truck and calling out to God and letting people think I'm crazy sitting next to me in traffic because I'm this... Or like when Ken's trying to worship him, I'm back there doing a little dance because that's why I stay in the back sometimes, by the way. You may think it's to spy on you to see if you're worshiping, but really it's because uh, I can do all kinds of crazy stuff back there and nobody sees. So um, some of you go in the back so you don't have to be seen, uh, so you don't have to worship. No. <laughs> but, 
But I get back there because I, I really find that if I will worship him with reckless abandon, just totally let go of everything that, that people might think or, or say and just say, I need you. I think about David saying, oh yeah, you think I'm undignified? I'm about to get more undignified. You're about to see something, you know. You think it's bad enough I'm in my nightgown out there dancing around? Just wait. <laughs> That's not all. Um, but, but you think about this, this altar speaks of dedication. It speaks of dedication. And here's the interesting thing. If anyone in the Bible understands how heavy, how significant, how, how influential an altar can be, Isaac would be one. Because his little body was laying on one one time with his daddy holding a knife over him under the instruction of God and thinking, this is it. And he was bound up. Isaac understands that an altar before the Lord is as serious as you can get. It's life or death when God puts on your heart to build an altar. Abraham's heart was dedicated to God and the last possible moment God stayed the knife. And so the altar speaks of dedication. Possibly no one knew the cost of full dedication more than Isaac. So he built an altar there. I read about a man by the name of Taylor Smith, a great, uh, uh, a man greatly used by God, and he had uh, practiced every morning. Uh, he would uh, ha- had a practice every morning before he would get out of bed. He would pray this prayer. He'd say, Lord Jesus, this bed is the altar. My body is a sacrifice. I offer it afresh to you in total dedication. And I'm going to tell you something. The words you speak before the Lord when you mean them with your heart, they carry on well beyond that moment or that day. The, the, the reason I'm standing before you preaching today is because there's a time when I called Jonathan Watson over there because God told me to, to call him and say, I'm willing to be the pastor of New Song. And I said, but God, I'm not. I'm not willing to be the pastor. Our pastor has died. He's not even buried yet. I'm not willing to be. I was a pastor's kid. There's no way I want that. But because I spoke that, because I finally broke down and I chickened out on calling the district leaders who God had told me to, I called Jonathan because I knew he talked to him all the time. And Jonathan said to me, hey, buddy, let's wait till we get your pastor buried. And it was like, but I had to be obedient. But it was one of the things God used that when, when we said no way we'd be pastors, God reminded me, remember when I had you say this. Remember what I had, and when you get up in the morning and purpose like this man did, Lord Jesus, this bed is the altar, my body is a sacrifice, I offer it afresh to you in dedication. God is going to help you to fulfill that promise you're making to him. He, he wants you to fulfill the promises you make to him. So he's going to give you the help to do that. He hears your heart and says, I, I, that sounds really good to me. God says, that, that's exactly what my heart is for you. So let's work. Let's do that on that today. But when you get up grumbling, saying, oh, man, I don't want to face this day. What's going on? When, when you do that, when you make your altar about grumbling and complaining, then you make it very difficult for God. He has to do so much more to move your heart to where it needs to be. How about you this morning? Have you built an altar? Have you offered yourself a sacrifice to God? Have you reaffirmed that dedication to the Lord recently? I want to move quickly through the next two, two things, the next two ways that we can look at Isaac's life, a life of victory, a blessing. The altar speaks of dedication. Isaac built an altar, but second, it said, and he, and he placed his tent there. You make a home out of what God is doing. 
Isaac put up a tent. You make a home out of what God is doing. You know, we all have a home we go to. Most everybody in here I know has a home you go to. And you have your things that you've uh, collected. And you have your place. And, and some of them are on wheels, you know, and some of them aren't. But, but you have a place. But, but God isn't looking for you to make your home around some place or things, a permanent residence. He's wanting you to make your home around the things he's doing. That's why when he calls a body of believers to come together, he wants us to be a community. He wants us to walk life together. It's not come see each other just once on a service and never talk the rest of the week. And one of the things I'm praying all the time, God help me to move these people to be in each other's lives because the body of Christ will come alive when we finally get that down. When we finally get bold enough to say, can I get your number? And you know, just cause, maybe just because pastor's been saying it, I'm going to try it out. I'm just going to call you once a week. How about that? I guarantee you something amazing is going to happen. Everybody contacts pastor, right? Everybody does, because if you want to know what's going on with church, you talk to the guy that's supposed to be leading the church, right? But I'm telling you, there's a whole different way that God intended it to be, and it's that you're, you're not looking to me for what's happening in the church. You're finding out what's happening in the church by building relationships with those he's placed around you. That's the heartbeat of the church. I've made some comments that may kind of sound controversial. Like I say, when you bring a, a visitor to church, I want to meet them. But don't think in your mind that the priority is to go introduce them to the pastor. They came with you. You treat that as this is your home, and I'm going to show you around my place. And I'm going to stick with you like glue because you are my guest. And I'm I'm not going to leave you alone for a minute because I'm so happy you're here. Yeah, I'm happy to meet them, but, but to me, I'm worried more about how we're living as a body of believers than I'm about doing church like some organization where you go meet the important person, right? That people think the pastor is the important person. I'm just the guy that's responsible when the people keep grumbling and wander too long in the wilderness that, that I'm the one that pulls my hair out, calls them rebels, and then God punishes me, you know, and won't let me see the promised land. We've got our ideas about pastors and leadership mixed up. You're the body. Each one has a purpose. You make a home out of what God is doing. Isaac put his tent there. Isaac had heard the voice of the Lord in Beersheba, and he met with God. And so he put his tent there. And the people of God should always want to stay close to the presence and the direction of God. So this tent really speaks of detachment. I I said make a home where God's doing things, but you have to be detached from the things of the world. God wants your residence to be in heaven and he wants you to be an alien passing through so he really wants you to be a transient. He's not saying you can't have a home. He's saying but when that home becomes more important to you than what he's got going on. When that home pulls you away, you know what? I'd just rather be at home than be doing the work of the Lord. I'd rather go to my castle than build the kingdom. The reason Isaac was in Beersheba is, that, is because where God was speaking. It's another sign of his dedication. So the, the tent or the home, it's really detachment. Um, as Christians, we are pilgrims passing through. And Philip James, uh, Jim Elliott, um, he was an evangelical Christian who was one of the five missionaries killed while uh, participating in uh, Operation Akua, um, Aka. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. But it was an attempt to evangelize uh, some indigenous people of Ecuador. And Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. In other words, you're not a fool if you give what you cannot keep 
in order to gain what you cannot lose. In other words, Jesus said that if you lose your life, you'll gain your life. In other words, in Christ, you won't ever die. Maybe a physical death, but not an eternal one if you're in Christ. And so if you will give up all the, the tangible things here, if you'll give up all the things that you cannot keep anyway in eternity, then, then, then you're doing it in order to gain what you cannot lose. You cannot lose your eternal life if you remain in Christ. So no matter how hard you try, you cannot ultimately retain the things of this life. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. The world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So the altar speaks of dedication, the, the tent, setting up the tent of detachment from the world. And third and last, Isaac dug a well. In other words, dig out those things the enemy has filled with junk to stop what God is trying to thrive so that living waters can flow to what he's trying to bless. There's so many things in our lives that we, the enemy's filled in. Maybe we were hurt in a church somewhere and so now we're so apprehensive we won't ever get fully involved. We won't, we won't put ourselves, we won't put ourselves in, a, in that, um, what am I looking for, the vulnerable situation again. We, we can't trust God that, that things might be different here, that he's moved us here, but our, our things didn't work out someplace. And, and so we, the enemy has tried to fill in the springs of living water, and we'd rather just let them fill, stay filled in. But you know what? Recently, Miss Robin that comes in second service, uh, the, the lady that's in the, uh, one of the ladies that's in the wheelchair, uh, I've been trying to help her with her house because uh, she had a sinkhole next to her house that just opened up. Guys mowing the lawn and his leg went through the ground, a big opening. And went under her foundation. You can see the foundation. Big. Kind of scary. And uh, so we found out there was an old hand-dug well on there. And at one point, it, people were worried in the neighborhood that it was dangerous. And so um, actually Dave Donahue had talked to the guy who owned it, and they filled it in. But apparently that's sinking down. And here's something interesting about that. You know when the enemy tries to fill things in in your life full of junk? There's always evidence of it. Eventually. The truth will always be found out, right? Uh, when, when there's things that God has intended for you to do in your life, if, if you're supposed to be an evangelist, Don, and you've let the enemy through other things fill that in with junk and, and hide that, eventually a sinkhole's going to happen. People are going to see you're not doing what God's called you to do. They may not know that God's called you to do anything. They just know that you're, something's not right with you. People could see it in my life. I was called to be in ministry, and the longer I fought it, you could see it. I was struggling. I was grasping at straws. I'm going to climb the ladder at Walmart. I'm going to do this. I was on from one thing to another. And I believe that at a very early age, if I had learned some of these lessons then, I would have skipped a lot of drama in my life, and I probably would have been one of those guys that started at 16 preaching in the churches if I had been in tune with what God wanted. But the enemy kept throwing dirt in the well that God had planned to spring up and water my soul. And instead of recognizing that, and digging it back out and saying, you fickle Philistines, leave my wells alone. Isaac dug a well, and that well speaks of dependence on God. 
The Bible describes a person who reads and meditates upon the word of God as a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in, in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Whatever he does shall prosper. For Isaac, it was a matter of life and death. It was a matter of digging or dying. And I'm going to tell you that, that many times you're sitting there, and I've been there. We were in a good church that my dad pastored before, and when he, when he uh, retired, another young man was in there. Nothing wrong with that pastor, but, but I started telling Jen, I was like, I feel like I'm drying up spiritually. I feel like I'm just drying up. And then when we were getting ready to get married, we are at James River Assembly, big 10,000-member church. I was serving on the security team, and, and that church was live and vibrant, people getting saved. And all of a sudden, I started feeling at one point, I was like, I just feel like I'm drying up here. Like, I just need to quit what I'm doing. And what I finally re- realized in my life is that, that, that when God is, is moving you to do something, he, he tends to, to say, all right, that well's been filled in, but there's one over here with fresh spring water. And you need to move and go where I've called you to go. And, and I started realizing that sometimes God uses what the enemy intends for bad, for good. He, he, he lets things kind of be filled in over here to open the way for what he has for you here. And we would have never moved to come to help at New Song, Pastor Jim and Lynn, if we were totally content at Rogers. Because I wasn't listening the same way I listen now. It was more about how I felt than what I knew God was speaking to my heart. And if everything felt good there, I would have kept staying there. And God knew he had to make it just uncomfortable enough that, hey, I'm getting thirsty. <laughs> there hadn't been in some water in a while. I need a well. My mouth is kind of dry. I, I don't know what's going on, but I just can't. I can't stand this anymore. I got to go where there's an oasis. And, and, there's, and it wasn't the church. The church wasn't drying up. The pastor wasn't drying up. But God had an intended purpose for me. He's trying to move me. And he said, hey, listen, that one's done. I want you to dig over here. You know, Isaac went through that. He had all this grumbling from the herdsmen. Hey, hey, that's our water man. Uh, your, your, your daddy's gone and that used to be his. It's ours now, you know. And you dig over here. No, no, that's ours too. That's ours too. And gracious Isaac, he, he moved on. Eventually, they quit grumbling. He said, okay, this is, this is where I'll be. Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, the living waters of God. Isaac built an altar. He, he set up his tent. He dug a well. But it was more about dedicating himself, to the re, dedicating himself and the resources he had to what God had promised, and also making a home out of what God is doing, and, and also uh, to dig out what the enemy has filled in so living waters could sustain him. He understood that for the blessings that God would come, that would come on him and all that he owned, he had to continually make an altar, set his home around what was, God was doing, and be saturated by the, the living water God was providing. And that's what the blessed life God is all about. It's not about possessions. You know, I think there might be a book or something, Blessed Life, and it has to do with finances. I'm not picking that. I'm just saying that, that really some of the poorest people are the most blessed in spirit. In Africa, there's places where they don't have a, a two pennies to rub together, right? They're waiting for rice. They're waiting for a well to be dug. But the worship and their services are evidence that God's spirit is moving among them. They are blessed, a blessed people.
We've got to change the lens in which we look through and understand that the blessings we, we want are eternal. To see your kids go to an altar, even when adults aren't going, to, to see them worship and raise their hands for the Lord, even if people around them aren't, those are eternal things. They are learning to worship their Heavenly Father. They're learning, you know, the next generation, there's hope. There's hope. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, for the generations represented here. God, for the heritage that is represented in this room, all the different last names, all the different families, backgrounds, Lord, histories. And God, I pray right now that through what we have learned of Isaac, God, that we begin to understand that, Lord, we have to build an altar everywhere you plant us. We need to build an altar and, 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 and bring praise to you, to be dedicated to you in everything we do. And that, God, that, that when we get there, Lord, that we can't get so comfortable with our earthly things, our home and our possessions, that we forget that our home is built around eternity. Our home is built around the eternal things. That, that literally, not just in the church building, but among the people, that that is where our home is. That we don't look at church as just something we come visit and people who are part of our church, but those are our community of believers. Those are our family. That we need each other. You've designed us that way. And Lord, every time the enemy tries to fill in the well of living waters with junk, Lord, that you, you show us where to dig, that we may be refreshed, that we may be restored. Lord, that we understand that our dependence is on you. Right now, I just pray as heads are bowed, eyes are closed, that you take a moment with the Lord and just say, God, help me. Help me, Lord, to, to, to live out Live out what Isaac has done, Lord, that we've read in the scripture, that God, you would help me to make my residence around the, the eternal things. Lord, help me make an altar everywhere I go, Lord. No matter what people think, Lord, it's on the road, in the grocery store, wherever I'm at, Lord. And Jesus, that I would thirst for your, your living waters, God, that I'd be looking for that place that you let me dig a well, God, that you may refresh me and all that you plan to bless in my life. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. We believe that you're going to do it in our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Love you. And uh, remember Wednesday night, 630, uh, and the ladies' Bible study is coming up again. So, But 630, another time for worship and God's Word. Have a wonderful Sunday.